Hi, you're listening to another message from Sunny Hill Church. Our prayer is that these messages encourage, empower, edify, and equip you to live for Christ in 2023. Be blessed as you listen in. Good morning and welcome. My name's Colin. I'm a member of the senior leadership team here at Sunny Hill. Uh, But wherever you are, whether you're listening from home, uh, tuning in from a a church, um, whatever it is you're doing today, uh, whatever time you actually get to watch this, it's really great that you've joined us and you're able to just delve into a bit of God's Word uh, and hear what what we're talking about in this season. Because uh, we've been going through a season talking about revolution and how different aspects can affect us as Christians. Last week we heard from Dom, who talked about truth, the revolution of truth, uh, and that was really meaty stuff. Today we're going to be looking at the revolution of community. What does that mean? How how does that affect us? Um, But to start us off, I thought I'd just share with you a joke. Uh, It's a very old joke. You've probably heard it before. It's uh, the Englishman, the Welshman, and the Chineseman who are flying across the British Isles and they're flying across in this small little plane. It's only a a tiny little thing. Um, You only get a little little plate of sandwiches and things because it's a small journey, uh, nothing special. Um, But basically they're flying across uh, the English countryside, uh, heading towards Ireland. And um, what they're doing is they're looking at the countryside around them and the Englishman becomes really proud and, and starts telling the others about how, how wonderful his country is, uh, the rolling landscape, um, Shakespeare, and starts spouting forth about how great the people are in his, in his country. And the other two are getting really a bit tired by this. And eventually they cross over the English-Welsh border. And then the Welshman thinks, right, well, I'm going to go for this. And so he starts talking to them. Look down there, this beautiful landscape, much better than England. The hills, the valleys, the people, uh, the sheep, and anything and everything about Wales. The, the singing is wonderful in Wales. And um, the Chinese man is just by the, I mean, he's sick of both of them by the end of this. And he, he's looking down and he's, he opens one of the, small windows, because it is only a small plate, he chucks the plate out the window and says, look, China, and starts talking to him about his own country. Now, that's a very, very silly joke. You may well have heard it before. But it does illustrate something about how passionate we can be about our own community, our own nation, our own tribe. We, We get a lot of our core values and identity from the communities that we associate with and live within. Well, we're going to be looking today at uh, the community uh, aspects when we become a Christian. Does that affect our our community values? How how does it? Do we chuck those values out the window or do we um, just adopt new ones within the community that we live in? How does Christianity affect our viewpoints of community and its values? We're going to look at scripture. We're going to look straight at 2 Corinthians verse uh, chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm going to start reading from verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ 
and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Well-known passage that talks at the heart of what Christian community is all about. We have a shared identity in this community as Christians. We are a people that are reconciled to God. And what does reconciled mean? It means restored relationship. We have a restored relationship with God, our God, the creator of the universe, who originally decided to make us in his own image, to echo his characteristics. How do we know that? Well, we read it in uh, Genesis 1, verse 26, where the Godhead is speaking to community very much so. Let us make mankind in our image to be like us. That one um, verse shows us that the Godhead is a community in itself. Let us make them in our image, plural, community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And here they are creating mankind to be new members of a spiritual community. What a wonderful thing to think. It's mind-blowing just, just to comprehend that. The first humans, Genesis tells us, goes on to tell us, that lived in this wonderful place, this paradise on earth, without a care in the world, and with nothing to hide, and really no concept of sin. Uh, apparently, they lived naked. No clothes at all, because they had nothing to hide. Um, but it is a picture of a very well-functioning community. God the Father would walk with them, talk with them, spend time in the garden with them. Um, there was nothing, nothing, they had no concept of any problems, no sin had come. But then, sadly, sin arose. I don't know whether it was because uh, they thought they were grown up enough to, to know better than God, but ultimately uh, an idea was planted in their mind by the enemy did God really say that? And so therefore, um, they decided to go their own way. They decided that they could choose their path and disobey God's will. Now, that is a fundamental breaking point in the community. Suddenly, they had something to hide. When God turned up and said, where are you, Adam? They were hiding because they were suddenly conscious they were naked and ashamed of what they had done. Sin separated and broke apart the community that God had created in the first place. I don't know if you've ever experienced um, coming uh, as a kid, uh, breaking a rule, doing something wrong, and your parent comes in and says, what's going on? I don't know, I, I remember quite distinctly with my kids, one, or my, my young son, uh, he was, I don't know, maybe a toddler at the time. He got himself a big red 
pyro and started drawing all over his big sister's wall. It had just been painted and then it scrawled all over it. Now, I'm pretty sure I went, what? What is going on here? Uh, when I saw it. Um, but I don't know whether my son ever admitted to the fact he'd done it at all. We often, when we're confronted with our own sin, our own, our own mistakes, we go, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. Uh, nothing to do with me. It was him. It was or my sister or anyone, anything, anybody, but it's never my fault. Very few of us own up to the mistakes that we make. Well, in the Garden of Eden, they'd made a mistake. They had gone their own route. And since that time, we as humans have always been living uh, with a veil of concealment. We hide behind our, our images, our masks. We um, have something to hide in our lives. And we never quite tell the truth. Our flaws are part of us, but we don't particularly want to share them. So we will, um, rather than live an uncomfortable lifestyle of being open and honest, we're, we're hide behind um, some untruths or some better images or thoughts. Um, or we'll just ignore the flaws completely. And, and live fairly uncomfortably by trying to distract ourselves from it. Um, but it's very difficult to live that lifestyle. I mean, it's like going, if a parent comes and asks a child, what have you done? Or where did that great big <laughs> painting come from on the wall? It's very difficult to lie to a parent. We can try, but at that young age, we're not very good at it. God can see straight through any false image that we put up. But we would rather deny our problems or even deny there is a God than face up to the fact that we are being looked at through eternal, all-seeing, piercing eyes of our Father God. He can see what we're really like. Well, in our day-to-day -day life, many of us will echo this and keep God at arm's length, but also keep people at arm's length. We use social media today in a way that presents the best side of ourselves to the world. We want everyone to think we're great, so we boost our achievements or, or amazing possessions or perfect families or blazing careers. Um, and we present the best side, but ultimately speaking, isn't it a bit like a misrepresentation of ourselves? That's not the real us, but we still put it out there. And we spend a lot of energy just trying to fool ourselves um, by filling our lives with noise or with distractions so that we don't spend too much time thinking about our own flaws. There's a lot of us that are quite uncomfortable about silence. We don't like when there's too many pauses and we try to fill those pauses because if everything goes quiet, 
and we're left with just our own thoughts, that can be quite an uncomfortable reality check. So we protect ourselves by filling our lives with noise. We turn on radios, TVs, social media, anything that we don't have too many quiet gaps. But we also protect ourselves by not uh, allowing too many people to see the real us. We don't particularly feel comfortable having deep friendships. We'd much rather have surface connections, virtual friends, or emotionally distant friendships. Um, keeping people at arm's length is a great tactic so they don't see beyond the shields that we put up. They don't ask too many awkward questions. They don't demand too much of us, so much so that they can see who we really are and the flaws that we have. Now that is encouraged by our enemy. It goes way back to the time when the enemy just put that, that untruth into Adam's ear and said, is that really what God said? His goal is to separate us from people who can help, to break up communities, particularly any relationship we can have with our God and Father. Now, if we get our heads around the fact that community was God's plan and breaking apart community is the enemy's plan, then we can actually consciously do something about it. Sin is a process that separates us. So how do we handle the sin in our lives? How do we um, grapple with this situation that is integral to our spiritual growth? We know it's integral to our spiritual growth because the enemy is highlighting it as it's something to combat something to get rid of, something to break down. If it wasn't important to him, then it shouldn't, doesn't need to be that important to us. But it's vital. Community is vital for Christian growth. And ultimately, a, a spiritual community with God, our Heavenly Father, Jesus, his Son, and the Holy Spirit, if we're not part of that spiritual community, we're never going to grow as Christians. Well, God made a way for that all to be restored. God could see the real us and still wanted us. He misses that deep relationship. He craves it, so much so that Jesus pursued us. He suffered for us and ultimately gave his life for us. Just to reconcile us, to restore us, to that relationship with our Heavenly Father. And why do we call him Father anyway? If you think about it, when we become a Christian, we become part of a family. He is our Father. We are his children. We have brothers and sisters around us. We are part of a functional community. We are adopted as heirs into a spiritual family. From then on, our prime identity should be coming 
from that community. Over and above any other relationship, spouse, parent, child, we have more in common now with our brothers and sisters in Christ because we're locked into eternal destiny. We're going to be um, spending eternity with people who also have bent the knee to Jesus, have surrendered their life to him. So our, our common ground is so much more rich with fellow Christians than anyone else on this earth. Now, is that fair? It doesn't, doesn't sound very fair, does it? It sounds a bit exclusive. Well, it could be exclusive if we didn't share, if we didn't tell people about this wonderful opportunity, about the good news. And that's really what we're going back to when we look at 2 Corinthians again. In verse 20, it says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. The whole point of being part of this community is to actually reach out as ambassadors for Christ, telling people the good news, that they can join the family too. They can be part of this spiritual community. Now that's an epic task, and we're not going to be able to achieve that without the Spirit backing us, teaching us, training us, uh, equipping us for the task. Um, but it's an exciting opportunity. It's something that we can really get behind as a community of God. We should be very much more outward looking as churches. We are the church of the restored, after all, and our job is to go out there and help people in finding Jesus and having a restored relationship with the Father God. But that does mean that we're also going to have to reflect Jesus's character. And part of the process of growing up as a Christian is to become more Christ-like. Um, to do things not our own way, but Jesus's way. To do the unexpected, perhaps. To um, be countercultural in nature. And above all, to be irresistibly attractive. Now, obviously, some of us are better at that than others. Uh, but if we can be as attractive a community as possible, then evangelism becomes easy because we are an attractive cultural community. John 13 records what Jesus says in verse 13. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So the culture of being part of God's community is one of love, love for each other. They know that you are my disciples by how you interact with each other. Romans 12, 2 says this, Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. So our primary task as Christians is to allow God to transform our mind and our being into a reflection of Jesus. And to do this, we do need the Holy Spirit to get to work on us. And our job 
is to let the Holy Spirit do that. To invite him into the nooks and crannies of our soul. Um, the elements that we're weakest in. Those things that we'd rather the public don't see. And say, Holy Spirit, here I am, warts and all. Please change me. Please help me to improve. We want to give God the opportunity to change our way of thinking, re-educate us, um, take off any rose-tinted glasses to see reality when we look at ourselves and to focus in the heart or lack of it that we have of God's creation towards other people. We want to be changed people. We want to grow and develop into Christ-like humans. To do that, though, we not only need the Holy Spirit, but we need the Christian community around us. People who know ourselves so well um, that we realise that we need God comes from hanging out with people who know themselves so well that they also need God. We're encouraged by other people's desire and hunger for God. We're motivated to change because we see change in other people. Proverbs 27, 17 says this, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. As we live alongside each other, um, he uses other Christians to sharpen us. Accountability is key. Other people challenge any flaws that we have in ourselves. They help us to work through those shortcomings. They point us in the right direction when we need to. God's people know themselves. And as the saying goes, you can never truly know yourself unless you see yourself through the eyes of another. I'll repeat that. You can never truly know yourself until you see yourself through the eyes of another. As people get to know us, as fellow Christians get to know the real us, then they can give us feedback on how we're getting on. Information about ourselves, encouraging us to change. We need that feedback to grow and develop as Christians. And if we don't have that feedback, we become fairly stunted, immature Christians. I've got this great video, which I, I've seen for years ago. And if you've ever heard me talk on community, you may have heard, seen it before but it's a really funny one. So let's watch it now, and it's about shallow small groups. Are you tired of small groups always getting into your business, trying to get you to share your feelings, discuss your past, confess your sins? Are you just looking for a place to kick it, network, maybe get some free grub? Me too. That's why I created what I believe to be the world's first openly shallow small group. We're not here to deal with messy stuff like feelings and emotions. You got problems? You deal with them. You're an adult. Life ain't easy. So stop the pity party. We all have our issues. We don't really want to 
do life together. Frankly, at Shallow Small Group, we try not to do much of anything at all. You'll never hear us use the term, unpack that thought. We're sure it's packed away for a really good reason. And you'll never hear us use the term accountability unless you're talking about someone who deals with numbers. Hey dude, thanks for doing my taxes. You have great accountability. And spiritual growth. Who wants growth? I had a growth removed last week. It wasn't pleasant. There's no pressure here to remember each other's name. What's going on, buddy? Oh, hey man, how's it going? Yeah, it's going good. Good. Oh, dude. Captain, what's going on? We know you have a name, and that's the important thing. Group discussion? You got tickets to the big game? Sweet. Let's spend some time on that. Oh, you and your wife are struggling financially? There's tension in the relationship? Uh, that's not really the vibe we're going for. We avoid conflict like the plague. Who wants cake? And there will never, ever be an awkward silence. That's our guarantee to you. We hate bad theology as much as the next guy, and we know the surest way to prevent bad theology is to avoid theology altogether. And outreach? This is the only outreach you'll ever have to do. Some people say we're superficial, but hey, the word supers and superficial. I mean, who doesn't want to be super? Shallow small group, because when things get too deep, people drown. Won't you join us? I, I find that hilarious, that, that drama video. Uh, it really does give us an idea of the consequences of not allowing people in, not being real and honest and open with other people, particularly our brothers and sisters in Christ. There are consequences to that, um, but we've got to admit that we can all fall into the trap of shallow fellowship and friendships. Um, if we don't actively choose to approach church life with honesty and integrity and openness and above all, accountability. And to be accountable to someone, you've got to open up to them. You've got to let them see who you are, not just on a Sunday, but other days of the week. And sometimes we can be guilty of... of um, doing church together, but not doing life together. And then that's easy to hide who we truly are, to put on a mask whenever we come to church and not be the real us. But the benefit of being real with people is that they can help us. They can see who we are and love us, even though we are flawed individuals. Now, in the UK, there are many reasons why people would not want to be part of that type of community, who would rather have just shallow relationships and friendships. There are three main reasons people actually leave UK churches, and they've been researched a little bit. The first reason is if a person is independent thinking, if they are independent individuals, let's call them. They're the type of people that believe they don't need an organized religion. They rather go it alone uh, because it's just more comfortable for them. Um, in other words, they don't like conforming to 
a wider group's norms or feeling any pressure to live in a certain way. Um, they, they've probably been people that have tried to live with one foot in the kingdom culture and another foot in the world's culture. And that never sat very comfortably with them. And eventually, the draw of other people's opinions or um, activities that just seem much more fun have drawn them away um, because it's an easier way to live. It's more comfortable and it's more easy to manage. So those people often don't um, stay in the church circle, in the church community. They're not going to invest in deeper relationships. The second um, reason people, it's been documented, have left churches and church communities is of disappointment. Uh, let's call them disappointed Dave. Um, the church has failed to live up to their expectations. Now, sometimes you think, well, that's not really surprising. The church doesn't always get it right, does it? Um, it may have been that they felt hurt by someone or uh, a friendship has broken down or trust in a leader has been lost. Now, sadly, that does happen. You know, we are a community of people that admit they get it wrong. They make mistakes. We are all learners at this. Even the leaders, um, if you drill them down enough, will admit they're still learning. They're still growing. They are prone to making mistakes. They are imperfect human beings. But that is exactly why we needed Jesus. We needed his forgiveness. But the Bible does warn us that forgiveness, there is a requirement. And the requirement is we need to forgive others. To have that ability to forgive others, like God the Father forgives us. And I suppose for some, that ability to forgive runs out. And they eventually jump ship. People also leave uh, because they've been disappointed or they've, they've experienced frustration and they get stressed out by church community. Uh, for some reason, they've equated um, church with the perfect place to serve, the perfect place to work, because there's an in, innate inside feeling that they should work out their own salvation, which is a really big mistake. Salvation is free. Um, as we heard an, another week, we, we get salvation through what Jesus did, not what we did. But they've, they've worked and worked and worked to try and please God and eventually burnt themselves out. And so they've left because it's just too stressful to be part of the community. Not actually what God wants from them, but it's their own expectations not being fulfilled. Also, um, church can be a little bit boring at times. And some people leave because it's just too boring. The talks are boring. Obviously, not this one. Uh, the worship is boring, not the cup of tea. And the people are boring. Dull, dull, and even duller. Well, ultimately speaking, what that does is it prevents people seeking after um, 
close friendships. Because if they did have any uh, stronger friendships, that would probably keep them in. Friendships is a really important thing in church. The number one factor that keeps people in the church community is the friendships they build out, up. And if you keep people at arm's length, those friendships never fall. And when times get tough, that's when people start walking. Finally, the, the third reason that people leave church is because they haven't really grasped, let's call them consumer Christians. People come to church for many reasons, and some of them because they've got genuine needs. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Understandable needs we get as a church, that's what we're there for. But at some point, you have to grow beyond your own needs. You have to realise that there is a bigger picture, a greater purpose that the church is designed to fulfil. And if you're going to be part of the church community, you're going to have to grapple and engage with that greater purpose. Um, it's said that the church is the, one of the few um, organisations that designed for its non-members. And so we're, we're engaging in a community that actually is designed to not only fulfill our own needs, but to go and fulfill the needs of others. Sunny Hill itself has got a, a vision statement that says, for the one. We are for the one. So we're willing to reach out for the lost one, to draw them in, to help them and introduce them to the one God who can actually help them. That is our, our goal, our vision, our statement, and everything we do is designed around that. We meet Jesus, we realise our need for Jesus, we engage with him and say, this is my life, I surrender it to you. And then we follow him. And we follow him by adopting the mission of the church, his church, and go out seeking those who have not yet found him. We may still have to work on the stuff within us, the flaws that we have. But the weird thing is, God actually loves that. He loves flawed people because he is able to use the flaws within us to his own advantage. He can use those flaws to reach other people. Those things that we think make us weak actually make us more appealing to other people. Who wants to join a group of perfect people? We would feel so uncomfortable. But if we realise that every one of us are the same, we all have flaws, that becomes a lot more comfortable um, a place that we would feel comfortable hanging out. The very flaws that we thought would stop us serving God are the very things that he wants to use. Who better to send to those who are hurting than those who have been hurt themselves and found the love of God, the acceptance of Jesus, and a community that is full of love and acceptance.
That's what the church is all about. That's what our mission is, for the one. We are a community of the reconciled. We are reconciled to God and we go out to reconcile others to God. To say, come on, there's a relationship here you really want to engage in. It's perfect for you. Flaws are acceptable. You are acceptable just the way you are. Come and meet Jesus because we found he can help us. We found that he is the right way. If we grasp that, we are a community of the reconciled, called to reconcile others to God, then we can have truly a community revolution on our hands. Thank you for listening. God bless.